Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, Genesis 44. And what I'm going to do, because it's a long passage, I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and then in the course of the sermon, we'll read the rest of the passage through chapter 45, verse 15. Uh, But follow along thus far from Genesis 44, 1 through 13. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent." Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for revealing your will to us, for our salvation, that you have shown us your kindness and compassion, and that you have directed us uh, to you and to your kingdom. We pray that you would cause us to understand, to bring us knowledge of your word, which is true, and that you would also work that faith which shall receive it, that we might also practice it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Genesis, and uh, we are uh, quite a ways into it now, chapter 44, 45. And uh, the last several chapters have been about uh, the family of Jacob, the family of Israel. Not just about Joseph, although Joseph gets a lot of the uh, time because uh, he is sold into slavery. His uh, brothers had been envious of him and their father's attention given to him. There had been strife in the family, in fact, all the way back to the household of Laban when uh, there was the uh, switching of the sisters and Jacob ended up with two wives. And from that point forward, there has been uh, strife in Jacob's household. Now, Jacob received peace from external 
forces, peace from Laban as he left Laban, and peace from Esau, who had been threatening to kill him. But uh, since then, this tension has remained, whether it was the sons of Leah who avenged the daughter of Leah at Shechem and course, did wrong in, in doing that, but the distrust between father and some of his children had continued. And then, as he specially favored Joseph, and, and to some degree, you know, for good reason, Joseph seems to have been a responsible uh, worker, but uh, Joseph's dreams and his father's favor uh, caused his uh, brothers to envy him, to grow angry at him, to strip him of his robe to throw him into the pits, to nearly kill him, but eventually sell their own brother into slavery into Egypt. 22 years, at least, have gone by, maybe 23. The times have changed. Joseph has gone up and down and up and down and finally ended up as second in command over Egypt, the vizier, the governor of Egypt, about as powerful as you could get in the ancient world. And his brothers, meanwhile have grown uh, repentance, have, have realized their guilt in selling uh, Joseph. They have regretted that action. Uh, and we saw in the life of Judah that he had been uh, going further astray at first, acting like a Canaanite, marrying a Canaanite. Uh, but then when Tamar revealed his guilt, he humbled himself and said she was more righteous than I. And now we find in these latest chapters, as the brothers return to Egypt in the famine, that they seem to be changed men. That Joseph, taking advantage of the opportunity that he is unknown to them, but he knows them, and he's in a powerful position, uh, seeks to test their repentance, hears of them speaking of their guilt, asks them to bring back Benjamin, in fact requires them to bring Benjamin the next time, holding Simeon captive. But on their return the second time, he's been kind to them. He's fed them with food. Uh, He has given Simeon into their hands. Uh, They have done well thus far, but Joseph was setting them up for one more trial. Do you remember how he gave Benjamin five times as much food as all the other brothers? Um, He's showing special favor to the other son of Rachel, uh, to Benjamin, to see how the brothers would now treat Benjamin. And it seemed like they didn't mind. They just feasted and were merry with Joseph. But now the next morning, that is going to be put to the test. Joseph gives them one final test. He directed his steward to put his silver cup into Benjamin's sack. And so as the brothers leave, they think the worst is past. They're finally getting out. Their guard is down. Then comes the steward and says, what is this that you have done? He starts berating them before they even realize what's happened. What what did they do wrong? And they are accused of stealing this cup. And they say, we're innocent, of course. Why would we do this? We brought the money back that we had found in our sacks last time. And um, they are so confident of their innocence, they say, whoever has the cup is going to die. Now, have we heard that before? I don't know what to make of the parallel, but you know, when Jacob left Laban, we had a very similar instance where Rachel had in fact stolen something, and in that case it was not found. But in this case, he didn't steal it, and it was found. And the cup was found dramatically, the last brother to be searched in Benjamin's sack. 
As one commentator says, it would now be seen how they felt in their inmost hearts toward their father's favorite, who had been so distinguished by the great man of Egypt, whether now as formerly they were capable of giving up their brother and bringing their aged father with sorrow to the grave, or whether they were ready with unenvying, self-sacrificing love to give up their own liberty and lives for him. What would they do? This was a test. Remember at the end of Abraham's story, there was a test. Abraham's faith had been tested. Would he trust God to fulfill his promises when God told him to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loved? Abraham's faith was tested so that his faith would be made known by his works. Well, likewise, in this case, Joseph's brother's repentance is tested so that their repentance might be made known by their works. Had they changed, had they turned away from their previous ways? As faith without works is dead, so repentance without works is dead. It's not to say that true faith and repentance will lead uh, to a sinless life, but they will become manifest. They will show up. They are both inner realities that will be made apparent by good works. Repentance in particular shows up by a changed life and growth in godliness. In Acts 26.20, Paul said that his message was that, that all people, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So they're distinguished, but they're brought together. There's repentance, this turning from sin unto God, and then these deeds that are according to it, are keeping with it, that are consistent with that repentance that they ought to do. So this truth can be used for examination. Asking yourself, have I repented? Do I endeavor after new obedience? The obedience that formerly I did not do? If not, if you find that, repent now. Don't waste any time. You can do it where you are sitting. Turn now from your sin with resolve and purpose. But this truth can also be used for exhortation. That having repented, that having repented from your sins, to endeavor after the obedience and the virtue that you formerly lacked. John the Baptist would exhort his audience, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear the fruits. They'll naturally come, but we also to be exhorted to do so. Be consistent. This truth also directs the practice of church discipline. Depending on the sin and the circumstances, the church may keep a person who has confessed their sin suspended from the Lord's Supper or excommunicated until his or her repentance is made evident by his or her behavior and life. Not only to be sure of that repentance, but also to motivate that person to follow through on their repentance and to begin anew. This truth can also be used as you encounter difficulties, as you encounter trials and temptations, your repentance is being tested. It is a trial. Therefore, use these tests, these challenges, as opportunities to live differently, to turn away from sin decisively, to manifest your repentance before God and men by acting differently. And so there is a test laid for Joseph's brothers. How would they respond? 
Well, let me go ahead and read then verses 13 through 34 as we look at how they responded. I'll reread verse 13. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we, and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may see, set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. <clears throat> when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as the life, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father." This is the longest speech given in the book of Genesis, the longest un- un- uninterrupted uh, speech that is given. It is full of, of passion and urgentness uh, that, that Judah is urgently appealing to Joseph to not keep Benjamin as a slave in Egypt. How did the brothers respond? First of all, they tore their clothes. When's the last time we saw someone tearing clothes? Jacob, their father, tore clothes, his clothes, when he heard that Joseph had been killed. Now the brothers react like their father. They 
tear their clothes in sorrow and grief. They didn't have to go back to Joseph's house. They could have gone on their way, but they went back voluntarily along with Benjamin to Joseph's house. Then they fall before Joseph to the ground. Again, as if the dream uh, wasn't clear enough already. They've been bowing to him multiple times. Now they're again. And Judah confessed that God had found out their guilt. Well, were they guilty of taking this cup? Did, had they purposefully taken this cup? I think Judah's referring to the fact that whatever the case about the cup, God had found out their guilt against Joseph and was judging them for their sins. And so he humbles himself. God has found out our, gift, our, our guilt. He offers all of them as servants. There's a lot of back and forth about the penalty here. At first they say, the person will die, the rest of us be servants. Then the guy says, no, the rest of you are going to be okay. Just the person who's guilty will be my servant. Now he says, all of us will be your servants. He doesn't talk about Benjamin dying. Um, so trying to meet him halfway. But uh, Joseph reaffirms the penalty. The rest of you are free to go back. Only the guilty one, Benjamin, will stay as a slave in Egypt putting all the weight on him. So then Judah appeals to Joseph. He offers himself in Benjamin's stead. I will be a slave instead. Let me be a slave in Egypt. Unknowingly speaking to the one they had sold to be a slave in Egypt. Judah argues on the basis of their father's love for Benjamin. Our father loves Benjamin. That's the reason they sold Joseph into slavery. Now it's the reason they want to deliver Benjamin from slavery. Our father loves him. If he's not with us when we return, he will die. We care about our father's welfare as well as for our brother. And he also brings up his promise to ensure Benjamin's safety, which you and I know because we already read that, but Joseph didn't know that already. Uh, We had seen that Judah already was beginning to manifest a different character, taking responsibility, uh, pledging himself for the safety of his brother. Well, now Joseph knows that too. And so a contrast can be seen between Judah's concern for their favored brother, the son of the favored wife, and their previous envy. A contrast between their concern for their father and their previous resentment to their father and their callousness toward their father as they lied to him about his favorite son's death, supposed death. Remember, Judah had been the one to come up with the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. I mean, it was better than killing him, but it was still the wrong thing to do. And it was really against knowledge, because he even said, he's our flesh and blood, so let's sell him instead of kill him. Um, He had the one who had come up with that idea, but now he offered himself as a slave in the place of his condemned brother. This is an example of someone who is doing well at this test, who is evidencing fruit of repentance. Envy, cruelty, contempt formally characterized them, but those have been put off. Compassion, contentment, and love were put on. They no longer resented Benjamin because of their father's favoritism towards him. They overlooked that. They had put off old ways and put on the new. So imitate Judah and his brothers by following through on your repentance in this way. In particular, put on brotherly love. Have brotherly love, first of all, with those in your family at home that you rub shoulders with frequently. You can apply this in that context, because this literally was a family. Have brotherly love also for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Imitate Judah's love, which overlooked 
the, the favoritism of his father, who cared for his father, and therefore cared for his father's son. Love one another, overlooking potential causes of envy that could lead you astray. And love your heavenly father, who, unlike Jacob, is perfect. And he has children which we ought to love because they are the children of the father whom we love. If you love God, you will love your brothers. You will love his children. This is an example of repentance at work. But as you see this example, learn also to hope for it in others. Who would have expected this 22 years earlier? God can change people and grant them repentance unto life. So pray to God for this and be patient. People like ministers and elders especially need this exhortation. As Paul told Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's God that grants repentance unto life. God may do so. So be patient. Don't give up and be impatient and quarrelsome. Now, in this passage, Judah also prefigures his descendant, Jesus. Jesus would give his life for his condemned brothers. You and I were condemned, and justly so, unlike Benjamin, for our sins. You were in bondage because of your sins. You were doomed to hell, not just Egypt. But Jesus, sent by the love of his Father, offered himself to be condemned and to receive the penalty so that you might be released and be brought home. Jesus had willingly become a pledge of safety for those whom the Father had given him to save. I will see to it, Jesus said, as it were, that they will be safe, that they will come back to you, that they will be brought in safety, and no one can take them out of my hands. I will do what it takes to save them. And so he laid down his life for them. Jesus did what was necessary to secure the salvation of his people. And even now, he intercedes for them. So take refuge in Jesus Christ, that you might be saved by him. And being saved by him, rest at peace. He is your pledge for your safety. No one can take you out of his hands. Well, how does Joseph respond to this petition, to this appeal by Judah? Let's pick up the first 15 verses of the next chapter, chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry! And bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. The floodgates of affection broke forth. He had been holding it back. It had come through a couple times that he was able to hide, but now it is too much. He sent out the Egyptians but did it really help? They still heard. The whole palace heard of the affection and love of Joseph. Joseph said, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? He loved his father, the father that tied them all together, the father of them all. At first, his brothers were not sure this was good news. This is Joseph. Oh, no. He know, and he's the one that says, you who sold me down to Egypt. Like This is definitely Joseph. Now we're really in danger. We thought we were in trouble before. They're dismayed at his presence. They see a lot of emotion, but which direction is this emotion going to go? Like the Jews at Pentecost who heard that the Jesus whom they crucified was Christ and Lord, they were cut to the heart. What now? The Joseph whom they had sold into bondage was now the governor of Egypt, and they were in his power. What kind of tears were these? Grief and anger, or affection and longing? And so, in verses 4 through 15, Joseph then reassures them, comforts them, uh, assures them of his forgiveness and goodwill to them. At first, he invites them, come near to me. Come here. Come closer. Judah was already closer. He had come to say something in his ear. But he tells the rest of them, come closer. Then he mentions to them their sin. He recognized what they had done. You sold me into Egypt, but don't distress yourself. Don't be angry with yourself about that. This is him forgiving them. He did not hold their sin against them. He would not punish them for it, nor did he wish them to punish them for it anymore. Uh, He spoke peace to them. Let your conscience be at peace. He spoke of the evident purposes of God at work. That's not to say that just because God used them for good, that therefore they weren't sinful anymore. That's not his argument. But rather, Joseph is mentioning this to reassure his brothers that he is not upset at them anymore. That Joseph has seen uh, the good that has been worked in this way. Calvin comments, Thus we see that Joseph was a skillful interpreter of the providence of God when he borrowed from it an argument for granting forgiveness to his brothers. 
the magnitude of the crime committed against him might have so incensed him as to cause him to burn with the desire for revenge. But when he reflects that their wickedness had been overruled by the wonderful and unwanted kindness or goodness of God, forgetting the injury received, he kindly embraces the men whose dishonor God had covered with his grace. So Joseph skillfully read the providence of God. He saw the good that God was working all along. And so he was not so incensed with revenge as to burn with it, but relented and forgave them. And then he tells them to tell their father of his position, to bring him, so because there's five years of famine left. Then he embraces Benjamin. They weep together. Benjamin is probably a little more eager. Uh, more, we have a more mutual connection between the two of them because he had little to fear. Uh, from his brother Joseph. And so they weep together, as we have seen other reunions in Genesis before. But it's only after uh, Joseph kisses all his brothers and weeps upon them that finally they talk to him, uh, that that fear is overcome and that reconciliation is accomplished. They were reunited. They were brought together. So this is, a first of all, a model of forgiveness and reconciliation. Joseph has been forgiving already. He had sought reconciliation. He had abstained from revenge, but now he made himself known and became the comforter of his brothers, weeping with affection and embracing them. The family of Jacob was back together. The division that had begun years and years earlier in the household of Laban was finally healed. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So aim at this unity and reconciliation. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It's also a model for church discipline and restoration. Joseph was not only a brother, He was also a man of authority and a prophet of God, and he spoke in that capacity as well. As the Geneva Bible says, this example teaches that we must by all means comfort those who are truly ashamed and sorry for their sins. Or as Paul said regarding the case of church discipline, where the repentance of the offender was evident, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That is what Joseph was doing with his brothers. But Joseph was also here, lastly, a figure of Christ, who speaks peace to those who repent. Jesus welcomes and embraces and comforts sinners who deserved his wrath and judgment. He invites them to come near to him. There are certain themes that show up in the New Testament that reflect Joseph. Stephen spoke of Joseph in his speech in, in Acts 7, he spoke of how Joseph and Moses, both in their own days, had been raised up by God to save their brethren, their countrymen, but then had been rejected by them out of envy, just as the Jewish leaders had betrayed and murdered Jesus Christ. But there was an encouraging implication to Stephen's speech because Joseph and Moses went on to save the people who had rejected him. And so Jesus would save any of those to whom Stephen was speaking, if they would repent and believe in Jesus. 
Stephen prayed, too, while he was being killed. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And at least one of them did repent, and his name was Saul, later Paul. Now, Joseph's appearance to his brothers, I think, is also echoed in Christ's appearance to his disciples. When Jesus rose from the dead, his disciples had mostly abandoned him. Peter had denied him. Most of them were shocked and fearful when they saw him at first. They were dismayed at his appearance, much as like Joseph's brothers. But Jesus said, peace be with you. He called them his brothers. He told uh, the women, go tell my brothers that I am coming. As Psalm 22 says as well. He didn't say my disciples or, or even or, or my enemies. He said my brothers. He was not ashamed to call them his brothers. He explained to them that this had been necessary according to the will of God so that he might save them and receive all authority in heaven and on earth. He spoke to Peter and restored him to fellowship. Then he went to his heavenly Father and our Father, and Jesus still preaches peace in the gospel. And he preaches it to you, his brethren, today. As Paul had said to the far-off Ephesians who had never seen Jesus in the flesh, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Jesus still does so today. So let's give thanks to the Lord for his mercy, for his faithfulness. Follow through on your repentance, enduring trials and bearing fruits of love. And look to Jesus Christ, who is both the self-sacrificing Judah and the welcoming Joseph. Through Jesus, you and I are forgiven, reconciled, released from condemnation and death. And through him, we have fellowship with one another, fellow children of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace in bringing us who were lost, that we might be restored to you and forgiven. We pray that you would help us to manifest more and more, to make clear, to make known Uh, the change that you have worked in us by your grace, that we might love one another with a brotherly love, that we might love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, that uh, even the Gentiles would hear of the love that your people have for one another and rejoice. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would bring greater unity and harmony among your people. And we pray, Father, that... Uh, you would grant us endurance as we run the race to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.